Hello, I'm Brandon Martini, a commercial pilot and flight instructor. And I'm Carson Vasquez. I'm a private pilot. And you're listening to the Aviation Mentors Podcast, sponsored by Stratus Financial. So buckle up, because the Aviation Mentors are taking off. So today we've got a little bit of a different episode. We've actually researched a bunch of Reddit posts on common questions that pilots and student pilots alike have been asking. So we compiled a list of several questions. We're going to answer a bunch of them on the fly today and uh, and see what we come up with. Um, our producer, Gradle, has given us a whole list of Reddit questions, and we're really excited to kind of go at them. And this is actually the first time we're seeing them. Uh, so we're just going to uh, respond openly and candidly and uh, and tell you exactly how we feel about it. So I'm going to start off on the first one. The first one we chose today was what is the best way to study on a budget? I'm really happy that I'm the one who got this one because I remember when I first started flight training, I literally was studying on a budget. I had a brand new baby at home. My son, Austin, who's been on a episode a few times ago and now solo an airplane if he was old enough, um, but he's not. But to study on a budget was really hard, especially when I was learning to fly. Um, I didn't have money to do it. Honestly, I was putting everything on credit cards and um, high interest credit cards at that. So it wasn't a, a great situation uh, when I first started, uh, but it actually worked out for me in the long run. And I got all that, that paid off, but the best way to study on a budget, I tell everyone, and I've said it on several other episodes, be consistent, study 15 minutes a day. Or if you're at a collegiate program or a, or a school that has a, a large program, you need to study as much as they tell you, you need to. But if you're just working on your private pilot and you want to study on a budget, all of the FAA books and ASA books are typically available online, and some of them even have audiobooks attached to it. I know the Pilot's Handbook of uh, Aeronautical Knowledge, uh, the PHAC, that's actually on, on YouTube, and you can listen to it if you wanted to listen to the whole thing. And then you can also download these for free in PDF. Uh, so I think the best way to study on a budget is just be consistent. Go find all the free stuff out there. There's even some some programs that they do cost a little bit of money, uh, but one of my favorites is Gold Seal. You can do online ground school, and depending on what school you go to, you might be able to do Part 61 online ground school or even Part 141 uh, through Glime uh, online ground school, and you can do that on a budget. It's only a couple hundred dollars. And if you think about how much it costs per lesson, a couple hundred dollars to, to get a, a software that you can use for one or two years is, is really pretty good. And another thing that helps is joining something like EAA and talking to people. Pilots love to talk about being pilots and going to be a part of that is a huge help. And the next question was, has anyone ever went to a non-aviation college and did flight training simultaneously? If so, what was the workload like? How did you manage the financial aspect and anything that is worth knowing? So I am currently a college student and I'm doing my flight training. I did my classes online. Uh, I moved them to online classes and did them at night. I worked all day and I'd usually fly before or after work. So it was pretty high workload, but it's definitely not impossible. I know plenty of students that go to college during the day. You know, it's not like going to high school where you have class uh, pretty much like nine to five, like a job, you can schedule your classes in a way that works for you. So scheduling your classes and having days off and flying on those days. Most flight schools are open weekends, so you can usually fly weekends. Uh, anytime the sun's up, really, as a student pilot, you can fly. And sometimes even at night when you're doing your night training. And I know some instructors are willing to fly later hours or earlier hours. So it's all about flying the flight instructor, flight school, the schedules that work for you and finding who's willing to work with you. As far as the financial aspect, um, 
having scholarships helps trying to go for scholarships. There's tons of aviation ones out there and there's people that have lists like AOPA. They have lists of financial aid and scholarships that people like to give out and you can go and apply for them and try and get them. So I highly recommend doing that and really just talking to people. Everyone's happy to talk and everyone's happy to give advice. You just have to go out there and try and find it for yourself or find the people that have it. Yeah, you really do just have to be committed. Uh, and if you're committed, you're able to do it as long as you have your mind set on it. If you if you set your mind on anything, you can achieve it. You can achieve your dream. You can achieve your goals. Um, another way to manage that financial aspect is obviously to uh, get a loan through our sponsor, Stratus Financial. Uh, they can, in certain states, they can even help you with just private. And other states, they can help you from uh, zero all the way to professional pilot or, or CFI. So you just have to go to www.stratus.finance to, uh, to apply and, and learn more. Outside of that, um, I would tell you, just study 15 minutes a day at a bare minimum. It will definitely help. And I guarantee even if you're going to college full-time, you can still do that. Our next question uh, that we got is, is it worth it to move out of state for flight training and instructing? That's a complicated answer with complicated consequences, I guess. I would say it can be, but it also might not be. It really depends on your situation at home. If you are single and no kids and and nothing holding you back, it might be cheaper to go to another another state or another city that's uh, that has a, a housing program integrated in it or something. But you would really have to find a program that's that's cost effective to do that. So it really depends. Also. What type of training do you want to go to? Do you want to go to a collegiate program? Do you want to go to uh, one of the larger flight schools that that have a fantastic reputation? Uh, it kind of depends on where you want to go and what your goals are and how quickly you want to get done. It really matters based on your situation, really. Now, if you have a whole family, it's probably not going to be worth it to move your whole family uh, to go start flight training uh, in a different state or a different place. It's probably going to be more likely than not just to stay where you're at and find a local school that, that can get you through it. Yeah. And if you're somewhere that doesn't have a ton of different flight school options, uh, odds are that your flight training is probably cheaper in the places that do have a lot of flight school options. And if you're going to, if you think that it's worth it for you to go to a collegiate program, somewhere like Embry Riddle and really just go to a big place, then it might be worth it, but that's in conjunction with the college degree and there's other factors for your flight training. But the next question is, is it true that 80% of student pilots drop out from training and never earn their private pilot certificate? Now, I'm not totally sure about the 80% part, but I do know that there are lots of student pilots that don't continue with their flight training. ton of reasons, some that we've talked about a lot in, in our past episodes, like ha- not having the funding secured or not having the just financial assets to do it. And I know that a lot of people just can't make that time commitment to become a private pilot. A lot of people would like to fly one time a week or one time a month. And at that rate, it's going to take a long time and you're either going to lose interest, lose the knowledge, or something's going to happen along the way. So making that time commitment is a way to ensure that as a student pilot, you finish all the way through to at least your private pilot certificate. I'm not sure about the exact 80% number as well, but I do know that it is a majority. So it's more than 50% of people do quit before even getting their, their private pilot certificate. And it's normally due to the training environment they're in. It's normally due to the fact that the school either doesn't have a defined syllabus where their instructors are actually following, um, or they don't have a training schedule uh, that has been outlined for them either at the beginning of their training or during the middle of their course. So it's usually because they don't have a set 
like eye on the prize. They don't know that the prize is attainable. So they're just continuously just flying and they're wondering, oh, when's this ever going to end? And they feel like they're not getting anywhere when they hit a plateau. And once they hit that plateau, it really kind of slows them down and makes them so they don't want to, to fly as much. And then eventually they'll fly less and less and less and then just quit, um, which is pretty horrible in my opinion. I mean, if you start something, try to finish it. At least that's the way I was taught growing up. The next question, this one's actually kind of a funny one. What was the dumbest mistake you made as a student pilot? I don't know if there's any dumb mistakes as a student pilot because you don't know what you don't know and you're a student for a reason. Um, But I would say, like, in retrospect, I guess you could qualify it as the dumbest thing I thought, um, which just was because I didn't know, uh, was I thought that if the plane stalled, my engine turned off and I stopped flying and I just instantly would hit the ground. That's what I thought. I thought as soon as the plane stalls, I'm hitting the ground in like 10 seconds. I'm just falling from the sky like a helicopter with its blades just stopping. That's what I thought was going to happen. But over time, I realized that um, a stall is just an aerodynamic stall. It just means that airflow is not going over the wings and now the airplane's not flying, but it will regain flight as long as you recover properly. And then I actually found out that because I also, I actually thought that helicopters would just fall from the sky when their engines stopped running. And then I found out that's not true either. Um, and I found that out after I was a private pilot, probably closer to my interest uh, instrument rating to believe it or not. And I found out that those blades will act as a wing. And although you will get to the ground a lot faster than you would on an airplane, the glide ratio is not quite as good. Uh, but the, the spinning rotator, uh, uh rotor blades will actually act like a wing and you can kind of glide down to the ground. Um, and that's typically called an auto rotation. So uh, you can put some air in between the ground and you, when you start pulling, pulling back uh, when you get closer to the ground. So I would say that's probably the dumbest thing that I thought as a student pilot. Um, but in retrospect, I wouldn't even consider it dumb. Uh, you don't know what you don't know. And uh, I guess you're, you're just dumb at something until you're not. Uh, so that's, that's what I would go with Carson. You know, I'll share my dumb one. Uh, th- this was absolutely my mistake. And uh, as like Brandon likes to hear, my bad. Absolutely hates when people say my bad. Uh, I was on my solo cross country, my first one. And I was about uh, 5,000 feet near March Air Force Base. And I was coming up from Ramona, San Diego area. And I was told by SoCal to look for traffic at my like 9 o'clock. And I was just staring out my right window and facing north, which was my three o'clock. And I absolutely could not find this traffic to save my life. And he kept saying, you know, he was walking me down because I was going back into Riverside. And he was stepping me down 500 feet at a time. And I just couldn't find the traffic. We're traveling the same direction, same speed. And he eventually just had me cross over him about 2,000 feet above him. And it wasn't until after that I realized I'd actually gone back and found the uh, the recording on live ATC to like, figure out where I went wrong. And he kept saying nine o'clock traffic, nine o'clock, nine o'clock. And I was just staring at my three o'clock and just could not find the traffic. <laughs> so that was my dumbest mistake. And the next part is any recommendations for aviation related jobs as a student pilot. And as a student pilot, you cannot have a job flying an airplane. Uh, it's not until you have your commercial pilot certificate, but you can have plenty of jobs around the airport. And these kind of jobs, we've talked about several of them, but some of them include being a dispatcher at a flight school, being a receptionist, working at a, an FBO in any capacity, pretty much. You can have the training for it. There's plenty of people that I know that are student pilots, 
and work at larger airports uh, as ramp agents, baggage handlers, uh, pretty much anything at an airport. So I would highly recommend being in one of these environments just because you can be around the airplanes. It really helps to kind of spark that joy that you had when you first started flying and keep it going throughout your flight training. And that's something that kind of helps people to just stay in it. Yeah, and another one, you can actually go to a, your local FBO fixed base operator. You can be an airplane fueler. You can be a marshaller. You can do all sorts of things that are really fun in aviation. And uh, and you'll get to meet a lot of really cool people. And that's what uh, being a student pilot's about. You want to make connections. Uh, you're going to need them in life, um, especially in your flying career. So make those connections. Go get a job at an airport um, and get an aviation-related job as a student pilot. It'll be fantastic. It'll, it'll jumpstart your career. Keep in mind, though, some schools do not allow you to be working. I know that several of the partner schools uh, that Stratus uh, finances, you cannot be working full-time or even part-time. You need to be fully committed to that program. And that's typically because they have a 6, 9, 12, 15, 18-month program that you need to be 100% committed to so you can get in and out of there quickly. But if you're doing this as a as something for fun or you're taking your time uh, or something like that, then you definitely should go get a job locally and make sure you're working and, and trying to make these connections and, and things like that. Next question on our Reddit list is a private pilot student question. First night flight training, any tips and tricks? Uh, I would say listen to your instructor is my first tip. Um, they're going to be the authority. Um, the first thing I would say is bring a flashlight. In particular, get a headlight flashlight for multitude of reasons. One, it's nighttime. You need to be able to do your pre-flight. Well, how are you going to do your pre-flight properly if you can't see it? And everyone says, well, I have my cell phone. It has a light on it. No, your cell phone doesn't work. Yes, it has a light on it. Sure. I've got a brand new iPhone and the light's the brightest one they've had on, on iPhones yet. Guess what? I still can't see things the way that I would like to on an airplane with that quote unquote flashlight on my phone. Get a real flashlight or a real bright headlight that illuminates quite a bit of area. And that way you can go look around and actually do a proper pre-flight. Um, if you do get the headlight, your eyes are going to be going right where that head, right where your head goes. And that light's going to go in the exact same position every time your head moves. So I think that's probably the best tip is to have a headlight. Also, if your panel lights go out, if um, you have an electrical failure or something, you need to have a backup light in that cockpit. And to make it even better, I would say your headlight should have an alternate uh, color section, like red, because it's easier to see at night and it doesn't take your eyes as long to adjust, um, like white light does. So I would make sure that you can change your, your headlamp from white to red and even wear it while you're flying. Because if you do have an emergency or you do have something, I would keep that. Also, study your charts in your area. Know what the highest obstacles are. You need to know where all the towers are at. You need to know where the mountains are at. Because guess what? You're not going to be able to see these things. Towers maybe with lights, but not at the right time, right? But mountains, they're not going to move. Um, they're still going to be there the whole time. You need to make sure that you're higher than all these things. Um, your instructor should do this with you and ensure that you're being very safe. But make sure that, that you're doing that. Yeah, and I'd recommend... Um you know, sticking with night flying, since I've, I've done quite a bit of it, is just following the freeways. You know where the highest obstacle is, and you're able to look down, see the lights of people below you, and know where to land if there's an emergency. And speaking of emergencies, the next question is, is there a chance to contact ground personnel from the cabin in case of an emergency? 
There absolutely is. And it's called your cell phone. <laughs> Having your cell phone on you is really essential when you're flying because if those radios fail, you can absolutely give them a call. And you can find those numbers pretty much anywhere. You can look online and find uh, numbers for towers or approach or really anyone. Uh, the numbers are out there. They're posted. And worst case scenario, you can call 911 and they can get you in contact with someone and get you the numbers that you need. So keeping your cell phone on you. A lot of pilots I know will actually keep a handheld radio on them as well. And those are pretty expensive. They can be two to $500. And But keeping one on you is, is really good to have just in case of an emergency, uh, in case of radio failure, in case of pretty much anything that happens. And I know sometimes in the heat of SoCal, avionics can get fried, radios can get overheated and go out. And having your cell phone on you, just being able to give someone a call, also, calling the flight school, flight club, calling other friends, calling anybody, just that should be the first way to go uh, instead of immediately declaring an emergency. Try and work it out before you create a huge problem about it. But also, don't be afraid to declare an emergency if things get to that point. Absolutely. I'm going to echo your point on the uh, on the handheld. I think that everybody should have a handheld, and it doesn't matter how expensive they are. I think that I saw one for like $80 on Sporties or Aircraft Spruce. Um, I might be wrong. It might be closer to 120 now. Things have been going up in price, but there is an affordable one on Sporties for sure. And I think Sporties even makes it. So Sporties.com, I would get one of those immediately. Those are fantastic if you have an emergency. Other than that, if it's just a regular emergency, just use your, your comms. I mean, talk to talk to tower, talk to somebody like that. Um, Now, if you're in the middle of an airport, it's non-tower things, things of that nature. Like Carson said, use your cell phone. Um, which is a really good idea as well. Other than that, I think that's uh, that's all we have for today, Carson, right? Uh, I think we'll probably do another one of these in the future, though. I kind of enjoyed it. It was a lot of fun. Yeah, this is pretty awesome. Uh, just getting to hear what is on people's mind and trying to respond to it. It's pretty fun. As always, if you'd like to reach out to either one of us, you can reach us at Twitter or Instagram. For me, it's at Mr. Martini Guy or Carson. It's at Carson underscore AV17. And as a wrap up for the day, remember, we're here to guide you in your aviation journey. So fly safe and enjoy the ride.